When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tendy Talk. I am your host Joe, better known as Washed Up Goalie on social media. This week I talked to Kevin Woodley, a journalist who has bylines with the Associated Press, Sports Illustrated, and the Hockey News, among others, but is probably best known by goalies as one of the voices of the In Goal podcast. But before I talk to Kevin, let's take a quick break. Hey everybody, Joe here for Anchor, the podcast provider. Here's all you really need to know. One, it's free, and two, Tendy Talk uses it. Anchor has features for your podcast like voicemail and listener support that's all available free through the Anchor app or through anchor.fm. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your episodes easily from your phone or computer, then Anchor does the hard work of distributing your episode through all the major podcast distributors. That is, after you've registered with them, of course. You can also make money for your podcast. I know I will try and do so, so that I can cover simple costs like website hosting. There is no minimum listenership required for you to start earning, so you can start right away. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And now, back to the show. Uh, Kevin, thanks for joining me. It's uh, great to actually uh, talk to you after hearing your voice every week for uh, what seems like forever listening to the In Goal podcast. Well, I appreciate you listening. And when you say hearing my voice, as the guys on the podcast have been letting me know lately, evidently they hear it a little too much and over and over and on and on and on. So uh, hopefully I'm not too verbose here with you because I'm getting a hard time for how much I talk on my own. No, it's it's been great, and the content's fantastic. In fact, uh, the, the day we're recording was the day you guys released the Elvis Ms. Lurkins. Um, I'm, I always butcher that last name, but the Elvis podcast. So it, it was a, another great one, as, as you well know. We've been uh, blessed to have a lot of uh, support from the goalie community, um, especially since we haven't had the NHL, like, you know, there were, there were weeks there when we started this going where it was easy to go into the rank teams we're visiting here in Vancouver, my hometown and the team I cover the Canucks, uh, locally, 
um, and just able to get interviews just like, you know, through regular media access. But obviously none of us have had that for a long time now. So uh, whether it's teams stepping up like they did with Cam Talbot, uh, Colin Delia, who will be up next week, uh, we just yeah. reached out on social media, uh, or guys like Elvis, who uh, I had contacts for before uh, through coaches, but uh, Bob Tativa from Sensorina sort of reignited the conversation to check to see if we'd be interested. Uh, can't thank it, it's other goalies um, that make it possible for giving us as much time as they do, and uh, we've been pretty blessed to have a lot of guys step up and and at a tough time give us a lot of their time. So I'm always appreciative of it. Absolutely, and uh, it, I'm excited to hear the the Delia interview because I'm I'm a Hawks fan, uh, so <laughs> I'll, I'll be dialed into that one for sure. Especially as you talk foam core sticks with them, because I'm still a foam core holdout myself. Getting harder and harder to find those, isn't it? He's got a stash. Yeah, they they are, and you know, part of me is holding out for the foam cores because they're cheaper. Uh, I, I am a very frugal person to begin with, um, but uh, I, I was talking to uh, Matt from Vintage Goalie the other week and telling him, you know, my first goalie stick was a Titan, and those are, things were probably the heaviest goalie sticks ever made. So I, 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 I almost feel like the composite sticks are too light. I, I, I don't realize I have something in my hand, and it, it's funny too because I was talking to Connor Bocre, the wild e-bug, uh, and he doesn't like the phone cores. He had to borrow one once, and he said his arm got tired holding it. So it's kind of funny how we all have our different preferences for for the it's stick. Part of what makes this position so great, there's no one way, right? Like entire generations are like, I can't feel the the, the composite. It's too light, it's like yourself. And then, like, we got a whole new generation of kids that will never even held a phone core. There's no point in telling them, hey, this stick feels like a phone core as a positive attribute because they're like, what the hell are you talking about? What's a phone core? Yeah. What are you talking about, old man? There's two uh, younger goalies that live in my neighborhood. They're uh, squirts, and, and I plan on shooting a uh, video with them on the backyard rink once it gets cold enough, and I want to bring out – I still have the old Titan. I want to bring it out for them to try and use and see how heavy it is for them. <laughs> I think that'll be probably fun. Weighs, probably weighs more than their pads these days. Oh, absolutely, you know, but I, I think it'll be fun. I want to bring that out there for them and uh, teach them some of the old school saves like the pad stack or the, the skate save where you turn the toe over, see if they can even do it. <laughs> I can't I can't do either one of those. It's funny because uh, as much as I'm of a certain vintage where I should be able to, I actually didn't even start in the goaltending until my mid-30s. So um, I'm old enough that I should know all those things. But I started in an era where the teaching was very modern. And mm-hmm. so, like, quite literally don't know how and throw the most <laughs> awkward pad stack you've ever seen. Like, it's embarrassing. It's so ugly. It's basically just me falling down and sticking yeah. my legs out. So, um, yeah, it's funny. I do play with a guy who's, who, who played a little pro overseas who's a little bit older than me, not much. Um, I, think he, I think he's just in his 50s, and I'm not quite there. But he teaches, he shows me some of these things. We play with a group of guys that, you know, there's college and guys that played up to pro and a couple of draft picks and things. So it's a pretty, it's above my pay grade this game, but I love it because it yeah. forces me to try to keep up. And he's always throw, showing me little things that, you know, I'm very much like trying to stay in the middle of the net and, and trying to maintain position. He's like, no, no, no. Like watch this guy come over the blue line. He will look up as soon as he crosses the blue line to see where you are. And he won't look up again until he shoots. Like, 
show him the glove side and yep. then stab it. And there are all these sort of old school little tricks and and tips that uh, I'm just like, man, Billy, like I forget it. Man. Like I'm just trying to stay in the middle of my net here. You're like, this is way too outside the box, but um, hey, that's that comes to playing in a different era. And it's a bit of a lost art to be honest with you, the concept of baiting guys. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because I remember back to high school, the kids that like to shoot high glove, and if they were coming down on the wing, I would give them, a, I would cheat to that blocker side a little bit and and bait them. Or if I knew they liked the five hole, I would open the legs up a little more like Eddie Belfour uh, in his early days and and get them to go there. And all of a sudden, boom, it's gone before they because. You know, at the high school level, a lot of kids, they'll look up, they'll see their shot, and then they'll look down real quick. Well, as soon as they start to look down, you you make that adjustment, and, and you got them. Yeah, no, it's uh, – there's uh, the old, um, you know, show it to them and take it, take it away from them is an art that, again, you know, I mean, I, I shouldn't pretend that it's a lost art completely. Obviously, there's there's really good young goaltenders who probably still have that in their game, but um, – I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I'm good enough to have it in my game. So well, you it's know, hard enough to stay there. I, I was um, talking to Ron Tegnant about the equipment these days and how it's gotten bigger compared to when he and I first started. You know, my first chest protector was the old two piece, not like what you and Cam were talking about today on the episode. Um, and he even said, you know, when we were coming up, we we used the term the feel for the puck we were used to those bruises and everything else. And we, we played a little bit different because of that, where today kids are so protected. It's gone from stopping the puck to blocking the puck. So that's where I think the uh, positions changed a little bit for good and for bad. Well, know? yeah, no, I mean, but you can react into a puck to make a body save. Like to me, yeah. the biggest change is, is the understanding that if I reach out a glove, I can miss. Mm-hmm. If I move my chest into that same spot and I miss, there's a lot more, there's a lot more margin for error and you can be reactive and use your body. And absolutely for that previous generation, they didn't dare do that. Like they would literally pull everything away from the puck mm-hmm. to try and catch it because they didn't want their face, which was unprotected for so long or their torso anywhere near that thing. And yeah. so a lot of old techniques are sort of founded in trying to stay safe for yeah. lack of a better term, as much as they were, warriors and got beat up and bruised and my god the bravery to be in like forget it without a mask are you out of your mind yeah yet the styles developed i think in part due to self-defense and once the equipment and i've had this conversation with tons of guys sean burke was really good on the you know the fear factor remembering specifically when the fear factor uh, disappeared from goaltending and once that was gone you know the ability to use that equipment and understand that moving your torso into a path versus reaching for it um, mm-hmm. was so much better, just started to develop. And now to the point where we understand the biomechanics of, you know, if I move my head a certain way, I'm going to actually close holes and rotate into pucks. If I move it another way, like the old school sort of windmill, not only am I open, you know, like I pull everything away, I can't maintain vision and I open up the net. Like, you know, I remember having that conversation with Kelly Rudy was on recently, but having that back in the day when, you know, glove up started to happen yep. because the whole path of the puck that he grew up in was sort of, you know, that, that old school windmill path and having this conversation about how, but look, look like the path of the puck and the path of your glove, like they have to intersect at a perfect point. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you sort of hold it like this, look at how much more coverage and area you're, and it was just completely different philosophies from 
what I learned in my mid thirties to what, to what guys my age grew up playing. So it's, it's kind of interesting to have that juxtaposition. Absolutely. It's funny you mentioned the Kelly Rudy interview because I think I talked to him a day or two before you guys. Uh, Sorry about that. No, it, it was great because we talk about some of the same stuff, but uh, we touch on different parts of it, which was which is interesting. When when I went back and did my editing the same day, it was really fun to hear the two sides of the story. Um, uh, and I, I chuckled too because he was talking about his armadillo helmet and. Don Strauss, and he was trying to remember his name. He goes, oh, I should remember his name. I was talking to a guy uh, just yesterday about it, and I'm going, that was me. <laughs> I had, we had no idea until we launched it, and you sent us a note that that, that had happened. So yeah. Funny. Yeah, it, 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 and we both used the same uh, image of him playing for, for our teaser photos, which is even better. It's like, what, what kind of serendipity is that? <laughs> but Ke- Kelly was a great conversation for me, and it, it was uh, really fun because I had seen on social media that, like me, he, he enjoys a good beer. Uh, so we, we started the episode with our pouring ourselves a beer and uh, talking right. over beers. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned you got into goaltender a little bit later in life. Uh, I, I'm assuming as a Canadian, you've been playing hockey probably most of your life, though. Is that an accurate statement or do you hop on the ice a little bit later, too? A little bit later there too. I don't think I started skating until I was in university. Um, played ball hockey, um, competitive ball hockey in university. I mean, whatever that is. Uh, but no, didn't start skating till university. Uh, was a baseball guy growing up. Um, parents sort of, uh, you know, choose one or the other. I think minor yep. hockey where I grew up was a little toxic at the time, and they decided to, to steer clear of that. Um, played a little bit of ball. Uh, I live in a border town here in White Rock. Played a little bit of baseball across the border in, in the States and American Legion ball growing up. And, yeah, just uh, that was where the passion was, uh, first and foremost. Massive Mariners fan. Used to make the trip down and watch them all the time. Still loved hockey. Still enjoyed yep. watching hockey. Um, but didn't play it at the minor hockey level. And, like I said, was not a goaltender. I was actually – so it was like 2003, 2004. And as I said earlier, I was mid thirties or kind of 33 ish. Um, and just trying to think of, uh, like trying to think of the timelines off the top of my head here, but I would have been three or four years already covering the NHL, um, for the associated press mm-hmm. before I ever strapped on the pads for the first time. So it was actually sort of a reverse engineered thing. Uh, it was, the day job and, and an offer to edit a magazine from the Canucks goaltending coach at the time. And now again, Ian Clark, that led me into the world of goaltending and I quickly fell in love with it. And the other thing it did was all of a sudden I'm editing these, these magazines that Ian Clark produced goalie news magazine, which many yep. people will remember as a newsprint format. And, and Ian is like, like he's up there amongst like, like he, I don't know that his name gets the same recognition as say a Benny Allaire, or Frankie Allaire, or uh, or Mitch Corn. Um, you know, uh, doesn't have a cup on his resume yet, like like Corn and, and and Frankie. Yep. Um, doesn't sort of have that backstory like Wah. But when you look at like the history of sort of modern butterfly goaltending and the and and sort of teaching and sharing and writing about it, like the guy has just produced. You know, and you could argue the book on on modern goaltending, uh, several verses, several uh, 
versions and 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 chapters and i think you know hopefully he's got one actually from my, from my conversations recently coming out again a sort of updated goalie goalie uh sort of manual uh, for lack of a better term and so he asked me to edit it and i learned this whole world got opened up to learn all this language that you know i'll be frank journalism at the time um was going to like you had good goal bad goal yeah right no understanding of why no understanding of what goaltenders were trying to do that's just how it was and, and right. editing those articles and starting to have those conversations with goalies opened that whole world up to me like okay like understanding why a puck went in or why he made a certain save what he was trying to do what he yeah. was trying to execute whether he succeeded whether it was a failure of technique a failure of tactic um, when a puck did go in versus good goal bad goal and how we all used to judge it back then like there wasn't a lot of specialty no in journalism back then so all of a sudden I had PR staff that would tell me, ah, the goalie doesn't really speak the language. My favorite was Bob. Ah, he doesn't really speak Russian, doesn't really speak, but you can try. Next thing I know, me and Bobrovsky are, this is when he was with the Flyers, were quite literally on the carpet, on the floor, in the locker room, speaking <laughs> the language of goaltending. Yeah. And he's talking to me about, actually it would have been early in his Columbus days, because Clark was the coach, and he was talking to me about the body mechanic adjustments he'd made in terms of stance and hands. And we're in the locker room and there are words that just aren't quite there for him. And we're literally hashing it out between us with demonstrations. And, cause, you know, he used to play like you watch him yeah. in Philly, like, you know, he's like hunched over his, his, his elbows were by his ears. And so we're the, the PR guys are like, oh, my God. Like, so it just opened up this world to me in terms of getting to know the goalies, having conversations with them in terms that they understood and wanted to talk about. Um, and then through that, I developed the passion of like, I got to do this. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Miller probably said it best. Yeah. That when, when he left Vancouver, I sent him a text just sort of thanking him for all his time and no, and apologizing for being such a pain in the ass. Cause you can imagine, <laughs> imagine having to deal with me as the home goalie, like all the time asking these questions, always asking him stuff and always wanting to sort of understand things better. And he's such a thinker. And he said, well, no, like, he said, don't apologize for it. At least you wanted to understand rather yeah. than just judge. And he, I, I think he genuinely appreciated that. Gave me a new appreciation for, for what my goal is, just to try and understand what they're trying to do better. Now, the one little aside I haven't mentioned elsewhere is, yes, editing the magazine sort of created this understanding and language and helped fuel the passion for wanting to play. But the real reason I actually started to play was a little something we'll call a sympathy pregnancy. Uh, we had our first child. I think I gained over 50 pounds. My wife <laughs> wasn't even close. And so we moved to suburbia. I lost my weekly pickup basketball. I had nothing and lost all my drop-in hockey as a skater. And so it was kind of this two worlds colliding. Like, okay, you're going to learn to play goal. You're going to get in shape. You're going to lose some weight. You're going to basically be the fat kid in that. I was. Um, and also get to sort of try out all these things you've been writing mm -hmm. and talking to these guys about. And like from there, it's like addiction, like just addicted to it. So yeah, well, fun. like Steve Thompson, the uh, head of ADM, goaltending for ADM and USA Hockey, you know, he says, catch a puck, catch the bug. And it really is that. The first time you get those gloves on, I remember during squirt, uh, evaluations and they just brought the gloves out to see if anybody wanted to be a goalie. And it's like, yeah, I'll put them on and 
caught that first puck and yeah, the, the, the bug was caught. <laughs> and it, it, it's um, interesting. You talk about Ryan Miller saying, you know, it, it was okay because you were asking because you were interested, you weren't picking them apart. And, and um, I, I think a lot of goaltenders, that's the way we view when somebody wants to talk to us about the craft or like, how much time do you have? I'm down for it. I, I think back to my college days and um, one of my teammates was Dave Rogalski and another was a fellow by the name of Ryan S who runs a uh, goalie school here in the twin cities. And you better bet we were always watching each other. If we weren't in the net during a rotation in practice, we were watching each other and talking after practice or, in practice and it wasn't just those two we did it with it was all the other goalies in the program that that was just the way we we did things uh now did we yeah. ever think Rogie would be the one with a Stanley Cup ring probably not <laughs> but here he is and now he's in Jersey which is amazing for him yeah no um congrats to him on the gig in Jersey uh, not surprised uh that it yeah. didn't take him long to go from the AHL to the NHL there were a few teams uh, I pat myself on the back on that one because there were a few teams that uh, were looking for coaches for their American League franchises before he got that job in St. Louis. And the year before, I gave his name to a couple of people, and they didn't follow up, and I told them they'd regret it. And so uh, he's proved he's proved me right again. He's always got good advice when when when, it, when he's when he's got the time to to have a conversation. Another guy again. Guys like Mitch Korn before he went to the Islanders and was sort of shut out from the rest of us, um, at least on the record by by Lou Lamarillo and and his rules. Um, just to, to guys like Rogie, just that openness and willingness to share with me so that I could yep. learn. Um, the fine line I find is, um, and this is a battle that I fight now with different hats and different jobs. Like I've got uh, I've got a handful of paid radio gigs that I do on a weekly basis um, in different markets. I've got got the in goal stuff, got the NHL.com column, which is again more the NHL.com column is more about sort of finding new angles and stories and and sharing those stories. Yeah, the with features. Pe- pe- yeah, and 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 not picking guys apart, but um, you know, on the radio, sometimes you got to call a spade a spade, and 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 you're asked to judge performance, and yeah, you know, it's it's hard, it's tough, and and it's a line that at times I struggle to walk. Um, cause a, who the hell am I to say what he's doing right or wrong, frankly. Yeah. Um, but, but then the goalie previews that we do for NHL.com that we started a few years ago with the playoffs where we're actually, you know, looking for trends and how do you beat this guy? What are his strengths? Well, what are his weaknesses? How might this team attack it? And, um, I hesitated to do those because again, who am I to say? And also like, I don't know that they all want to hear it. Are they going right. to answer the phone the next time I need a 45 minute <laughs> podcast interview? If, if I've picked apart something in their game and this, and I know they read it because James Reimer sends me a text message before every playoff asking me when, uh, when, when I'm going to rip everyone again. <laughs> so um, I guess the only answer is you can just, all you can do is, and, and this is where I'll give NHL.com credit is they gave me enough support to, to make it worth my while that none of it is just pulled out of my ass or off the top of my head. They gave right. me enough compensation to spend two days on each guy watching every single goal they gave up for the year and using software to track it. Yeah. So if there are things you see, they're matched by, by statistics, those trends. It's not just, again, it's not just, you, you, 
you're not you're not making it up. And I think most guys understand that if you put, I think most guys, if you put the work in, they'll respect. They may not agree with you, but at yeah. least they'll respect the effort. So, but that's well, that's a line I struggle with all the time, to be honest with you. Or in my case, when you point out my weaknesses, which are pretty easy to find, you know, I might not be happy about it, but I'm going to look at you and go, "Well, you're right. You weren't lying." <laughs> You know, I've been working on it all year, so it's it's not news to me. <laughs> well, and the hard part too is, um, and this is another one where you have to. It's a, it's a fine line, sort of between those two different worlds of, of journalism's going towards analysis, mm-hmm. uh, frankly. Um, but what I really love is sort of you know the in goal side and giving the stuff we've done with David Hutchison there. Like, what a great website he started and yep. getting to work with him and the passion there is to give goalies tools give them access to you know how an nhl goalie thinks about a certain play so that maybe there's something in there that will help them make the next save not picking guys apart not breaking it down like if i had my druthers i'd just do that full time and maybe one day we'll have a big enough audience or you know big enough support that we can because that's that's a it's a hell of a lot more fun than trying to break guys down let me tell you yeah that. so um, it can it can be tough though. It's not uh, you, the one thing I will say is um, I'm always going to go in that locker room, right? Yeah. Like uh, you're always going to be there and be accountable um, to guys. They have my number in a lot of cases, and if there ever is an issue, uh, you know, I, I've heard of, I've heard about it from a few guys over social media and messages like that. So um, I guess as long as you can admit you can be wrong too, then like like me, I can be wrong in my analysis yep. and that's that's part of it but it's it's not easy man like these are guys i look up to as well right like i'm i'm a fan too i become a fan of the position i love watching the best in the world play it against the best in the world so to pretend that i can tell them there's something that they should be doing differently like it seems absurd at times and yet yeah. that's sometimes what the job asks you to do you just do your best even though you yep. you know it's with the caveat that i'm not your goalie coach and i don't know as much about it as you or your goalie coach and Again, to go back to that question of how, why, what are you trying to do out there? Pro read taught me so much about how much the system matters. Mm-hmm. And I've had this conversation going over video with NHL goalie coaches. Like there's plays where it's like, well, yeah, okay. You could argue our goalie could have done this differently. And maybe he would have given himself a better chance at this save. But the truth is within our system, that's not his job. Right. His job is this lane here. And that defenseman right there, that's his job. He's the one not doing his job. And so, you know, you don't, there's no way for you to know that when you're watching a play live or when you're trying to break down a trend. Sometimes it's as much about the system breaking down around them and them trusting it not to as it is about the goal center themselves. Absolutely. And since pro reads have started, have you noticed your analysis of goalies when you're, you're looking for those breakdowns? Have you noticed you approach them a little bit different and, you know, looking beyond the goal now, maybe looking at the defense or uh, the forwards wondering, well, were they out of position? Was he, was he right in that, that role? But it's hard to, without knowing exactly how it's hard, it's hard to, there's no, to know without having all the information. Yeah, you don't, there's no absolute. It's like, it's sort of what I love about the position. There's no absolutes, right? There's never any one way to do it or absolute right or wrong way. And that, I think that's part of what makes it so fascinating and so fun. Um, In terms of looking at it differently, maybe a little bit, but the truth is like my favorite phrase 
and I use it all the time, whether it's radio or whatever, like is goaltending never exists in a vacuum. It's no. a function of te- team play so much more so than people realize. And so I've always kind of recognized that. I'd like to think that um, I'll give the example of Jordan Bennington. Um, you know, even in the cup playoff run, as good as he was and as good as he's been throughout his, you know, late starting short so far NHL career, there were trends that developed in the playoffs in terms of teams that trying to exploit him coming off his post and low high pass outs from behind the net. Mm -hmm. And that didn't start with me looking at how he played. That was just the numbers. Like the numbers of goals being scored this way jumped off the page. They were so much greater than any other team was giving up or any other goalie was giving up. And so when I described that, there were times in that playoff run where he looked like he was trying to figure it out as he goes. He went into the post, like he'd go overlap. He'd go like, he, he looked like he was trying to come up with an answer. I don't know if he was or not. Never got to talk yeah. to him during the playoffs. You don't have that luxury, but you try and mention in the same breath that maybe the blues might want to stop giving up the pass from behind the net to a one T in the slot right. uh, on, on a regular basis too. Right. Like it wasn't all on him clearly. So, I mean, word count and I write like I talk, I'm usually over, um, becomes an issue. But you try and add as much of that context to any conversation about goaltending, I think. At least I do. Yeah, absolutely. And um, a little bit about me. My first, I went to school to be a journalist myself. And my first job out of college was a sports writer for a small weekly paper. So everything you're saying is resonating with me because it's, uh, you know, what I went to school for. but at that point in time in our life, uh, we wanted to be grown ups and start a family and buy a house. And that wasn't going to happen at a community newspaper. <laughs> you, you, you're the smart one in this conversation because you got out of journalism. Yeah. Now, now I'm an analyst. So uh, a lot of where you see sports journalism going is analytics. So in a way uh, I, I'm doing part of that just in a very different industry. Um, you know, it, when I got into journalism, one of my professors said, you know, there's always, um, or not always, but most journalists, there's that aha moment where they go, I want to do this for a living. I want to be a journalist. Did you have that? And what was it? Ooh, this, <laughs> geez, you be careful here, right? Like, like imagine hearing the, imagine hearing the phrase, that's a long story for me. <laughs> That's got to set off some serious alarm bells for you. This might be a two episode Um, episode. So I'll try and, I'll try and condense it for you. Uh, I like you switching away from journalism. I did not start in journalism. I was three and a half years into a computer science and statistics double major at the university of British Columbia. Um, Yeah. I'd actually started to take my actuarial exams Um, because my understanding at the time is I had, I went to school, um, because I had good grades, not because I had any idea what I wanted to do. So you went to university, right? Um, And so I bounced around a little bit and basically uh, screwed around enough in my first year that I couldn't get into business in my second because I didn't realize that's what I wanted to do. So being an actuary was something I'd figured out. I had a math, I had a pretty good math brain. I don't know what happened to it. It doesn't exist anymore, but I did have a pretty good math brain. Kind of guy that could read the text, walk into the the, uh, third year calculus exam, write down enough answers to know he'd passed and walked out. Um, But I didn't have a passion for it. It was just more like, 
I'd been told that if you were good with numbers and you could get through the actuarial exams and you had any type of personality, because a lot of them didn't, you could do really well. So three and a half years into that, what's that phrase in Jerry Maguire? Uh, All the young people won't know what the hell I'm talking about. You know that one where you break down, break down, break through. Um, It was probably a little bit of column A, but we'll call it column B. Uh, Quit university, uh, like I said, three and a half years in. I'd taken a lot of English courses. There's a little, little, little one that's foreshadowing uh, as my as, as sort of minor and elective courses while I was there. I enjoyed English. I enjoyed literature and stuff like that. Quit school, went to work at a paper mill uh, that had been my summer job for a while, and they paid really well. Um, you know, like one of those time and a half, 12-hour shifts, make enough money to pay for university without any debts when I was in school, um, live a pretty good life as a, you know, in my early 20s off that there for about a year when the guys started telling me that I was going to be a lifer. And the one thing I learned about the guys that had worked there a long time is they all retired early, but then died within two years. And I'm not exaggerating. It was yep. consistent. Like there's paper particles. Like it's just not a, right. Like I was enjoying it, but so quit school. Then I quit that job. And then I drove to every major league baseball park in the United States over the course of the summer. I told you I was a baseball guy. Yeah. I lived, I lived in, I mean, the odd hotel room, but mostly, and this was a different era. It was the year after the lockout, 94, 95, the year the Expo should have won the World yep. Series. What a bunch of crap that is. Um, and uh, so I drove to every major league ballpark. I lived in my car. I had a, like I said, I would stay in hotels to shower and stuff. Like I'd say probably every fourth day, um, but mostly lived in my car. Uh, met up with buddies who'd played ball that were playing college ball down there, like on the road kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, truck stops and things like that was where I slept. And again, in the mid nineties, it was not as dangerous as it would be now. Yeah, I don't think you'd try that, you no. know, now at all, but I went to every, I didn't go to Florida cause they were carjacking tourists at the time back there. But outside of Florida, I went to every major league ballpark. I watched the Red Sox clinch the pennant from eight rows behind, um, home plate because I was by myself I had a buddy that was going to come and he bailed last minute so I went by myself <laughs> started with the field of dreams I was just looking around my office because I've got a bunch of uh, baseballs like here I gotta grab them up I gotta, I gotta <laughs> show and tell because we're on video yeah so as like I got like as, you know your your typical Canadian um you know so we got like we got here okay so that's Billy Williams Chicago Cubs. Yeah, I'm a huge him. Cub fan, so I like okay, that one. So this one uh, was Gary Carter. Um, obviously, just as an Expos fan, as I talked about, like uh, love yeah. Gary Carter. And this one, this one, I brought. I get this one out because this is how I ended up going from. Sure, this is how a sort of fantasy road trip after quitting school and then quitting my job led me to journalism. And you will recognize this as a Cubs guy. This is. Ferguson Jenkins. Yep. Okay, so I'm a Canadian Good and Canadian he was pitcher. the pitching coach of the Chicago Cubs at the time. Yep. My time in Chicago on this trip, I started at the Field of Dreams. I went to Iowa and started like that was my first stop. Like how cliched could I be? I actually went to the Field of Dreams as my first stop on my road yeah. trip. Um Chicago was one of the early stops. Went up to Milwaukee from there and then and then Chicago was one of the early stops. Well, in Chicago, I spent one night at a frat house through some for like slept at a frat house, spent one night on the right field, like in, in sorry, in the uh, down the first baseline, watched a game. Yeah. Then one Sunday afternoon, I never forget, just with, with the 
the bleacher out in the bleachers. Is it bleacher creatures? What? Well, yeah, the bleacher bumps. Now. Bleacher bumps and uh, like shirts off. That's how I ended up at the frat house oh. crashing that night. But guys were just like get just giving it to Barry Bonds the whole time, like it was the best. The, anyway, the Wrigley bleachers. They're people that have never been don't understand how brutal they would be. Now, legend has it the basket at Wrigley wasn't to catch foul balls or anything. It was they were giving it to Pete Rose one day, and he tried climbing up the wall. So then they realized they needed something to separate the fans and the players. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like, that makes sense because I, I, I was not prepared for this. Like, I yeah. hear you, you have certain expectations, but, like, these two guys that I met, were they were on bonds, <laughs> like – relentless and over the line at times and just yeah. like whoa anyways one of the well there um prior to a game i met a gentleman and i i really wish that i had re- like kept his name or like kept track of it or we got to talking before a game and he basically covered the cubs for a living and that's when the light went off like I had already had the experiences I'd already had. So this was actually after a night game. It was a mm-hmm. Monday night game because the Bears were playing the Packers at Lambeau that night. And I waited outside the, the I guess it would be the right field. But there's a parking lot exit where they come out. That, of, that's like, left field Kirk. across from the uh, fire station. Yeah, the fire station. For some reason in my brain, it's right field. But anyways, yep. you're yeah. So across from the fire station – and Turk Wendell at the time used to come out and ride his bike yes. home, right? Like, there's a bar, Kitty Corner. Anyways, Ferguson Jenkins comes out. And instead of just signing my ball, we end up going for a beer so he can catch, like, oh, wow. at, at the corner, this bar on the corner, like Kitty. So if the fire station just go keep going past the Kitty yep. Corner from the stadium, I don't even remember the name of it because I wasn't it's... recording these details. At the yeah, time, that, but... that's the one right out in center field. That, oh, God, there's a couple of them in the area. I know what one you're talking about. So they were all telling – like, he goes in there. He's obviously a regular. They all know him. Um, they're talking about how he missed a great football game and all these things. And it was – we sit down and talk for just a little while. And then after that, the day later, I met the guy who covered the Cubs for a living, I think for the Tribune. Mm-hmm. And it just – this light bulb here I am on this adventure I just met Ferguson Jenkins and I'm like you get to write about baseball for a living I actually applied to the journalism school I graduated from as a minor because I already had all these credits right so I didn't want to start Mm -hmm. from scratch I ended up transferring to UVic but the application to get into the University of Victoria which had the journalism program was made from Chicago I actually applied for journalism school while I was still in Chicago from oh, wow. the frat house I was staying at after meeting Ferguson Jenkins and this gentleman who wrote for the Tribune about the Chicago Cubs. And it was just like, so I told you it was a long story. But it's like sort of one of those weird ones. And then I just went on my way, spent the rest of the summer going to ballparks, um, Cleveland. I think it was the first year for Cleveland's new stadium, uh, San Francisco on the way home. Actually, that's one that that wasn't there yet. It was still the old one. Um, anyways, I think it, it kind of starts to all blend in. But that was basically the genesis of how I went from a stats and computer science guy to a paper <laughs> mill worker to a journalist. As a kid who grew up in Chicago, loving the Cubs, and I uh, got into journalism for a while myself, that story's amazing. <laughs> um, so so much uh, just uh, serendipity in that one of 
you know, how, how it all happened. It, it's, it's almost uh, the stuff movies are made of. Well, and the funny part is, is yeah, except for who the hell is making a movie in my life. But the funny part is, like, at, at no point does it have anything to do with hockey, right? No. Like, it, hockey doesn't even, like, hockey was just, hockey was, I, I I went to hockey because, hey, I watched a lot of hockey yeah. growing up. I had a passion for it. Um, but when I finished journalism school at UVic, a gentleman I knew had taken me over to Vancouver to actually Vancouver Grizzlies game. Um, to sort of learn the ropes. Mm -hmm. uh, he was working for the paper there and we played basketball together. And like anyone will tell you, you've got network, 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 right? Yep. So uh, the Associated Press writer left Vancouver and he had these two gigs up. It was a freelance gig in Vancouver. He was going to a full-time job in Buffalo. John Warrow, who still writes, covers uh, sports mm -hmm. in Buffalo. And uh, he couldn't find anyone to take the Canucks beat. I kid you not. Everyone in the market wanted to cover the Vancouver Grizzlies. Nobody wanted the Canucks. I was still, I hadn't finished my degree and basically said, I'll do it. Came over, did a couple test runs. He said it was, I was okay. And I was learning and everything was fine. So he gave me the gig. Um, and I actually, the first year I was still going to school in university in Victoria and coming over for day of games to cover the end of that season by ferry. It's a 90 minute ferry ride. I was doing yeah. that trip. My now wife at the time was my girlfriend living in Vancouver, so I'd crash at her place. Thank goodness. Otherwise, I, I couldn't have afforded to do it because the cost of staying would have been too much for that first that half a season. And my first ever game covering the NHL was the night the McSorley whacked for sheer. So, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've got a lot of little things. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's memorable. In the past. You know, having covered sports just on the local level, um, I, I think some people would be surprised at all of the – random little things we get to cover um, outside of, you know, some of the hockey stuff, especially the Olympics in Vancouver, what's been the best assignment you've had? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, outside of hockey, like no hockey stuff. Uh, I would say there's two uh, after the Olympics left. I mean, obviously I get got to watch every Olympic men's hockey game. I wasn't a main writer, but I was there for Associated Press. I was, you know, a couple sidebars and glorified quote, quote runner, but I was yeah. there and I got to cover it. That was amazing. The women's hockey was amazing. Um, I, I didn't think I wrote, those gold medal games were all that great, if you ask me as an American. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I was purely an objective journalist at the time, so I was just trying to, but I yes. being there was good enough for me. And then, of course, it, like at the Olympics, I'm not sure everyone realized this, but it, it, with the NHL, we live in a press box, which is five rows up and everything yep. birds eye view. At the Olympics, that press box is reserved for sort of the IOC royalty, the, the important people. And they actually create the press box at center ice. Mm -hmm. like in the regular stand. So I watched every 2010 Olympic hockey game. Everyone didn't miss a one, like right down to like the Latvia versus, you know, Swiss. Like I watched yeah. all of them from eight rows up center ice. Nice. It was fantastic. Yeah. When Shea Weber put that slapper right through the net, I remember it went, I remember we had the perfect angle. Like it was like right behind him. And I remember turning to the AP writer next to me going, that was in like, I don't like what's going on here. And then sure enough, the replay anyway. So yeah, the Olympics leave. Uh, and so does all the journalists um, covering the special Olympics afterwards. We don't cover it on an, on an event by event basis, but there were some stories that I got to tell there that were very special. Um, the other one is there's probably a couple uh, over the years outside of hockey. 
um, uh, a young left-handed pitcher here by the name of Jeff Francis, who had a had a maybe not as long a major league baseball career as as we envisioned at the time, but a, a good one nonetheless. Uh, I remember him his first year pro getting called up to AAA and driving down to Seattle because it was down around there and just that was something that that for some reason jumps out at me because just sort of being a part of his path and getting to tell the story of his path it's you know what to be honest with you go back to the go back to the community newspaper days it's too bad that community newspapers are dying in yes. terms of you know giving staff um, resources and things like that because I think they play a vital role and it may have been some of the most enjoyable times I had as a writer because every day was different. I mean, Hey, we, nobody likes to cover city council. It's, yeah. That can be a little redundant and mind numbing and get a little political, but you, you told different people's stories. And I think in some ways sort of wove your way through the fabric and shared that fabric of a community at levels that just, I don't know happened anymore. And like you said, you have to get out. Because mm-hmm. if you want to have any type of career, you're not making enough money to survive. Right. But, you know, to be honest with you, for all like the Olympics and the interviews with Hall of Famers, I love that stuff. But some of my favorite days in journalism were Trev Geely, the guy who owns a motorcycle shop here, sort of a legend in the old Harley Davidson world, like interviewing him in his final years at his home in my in the small community newspaper I started yep. out in, in North Spanish. Um covering the junior B team in North Saanich. Just Those are some good times there. So, yeah, it's, they're not always just the biggest names and the biggest stories. Sometimes it's the best stories that, that yeah, resonate. I, I said this, you get to know people, right? Like yeah. Willie Mitchell, when he won, a stand, won the Stanley Cup with the LA Kings, I got to know him pretty well in uh, here in Vancouver. He's what, what I call a waterman. Like, I like to surf, and he's kind of like he's an outdoorsy water guy, what we would call yeah. a waterman. And uh, after they won the cup, I sent him a text right after and just top of my head. I said, like, we don't in, in the media, we don't cheer for teams. We cheer for good people and good stories. And I just wanted you to know how happy I was to have a good person, you know, win right. to, to see, you know, to cheer for that. I was cheering for you for that. And um, I think that applies throughout. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've seen the uh, series. I think it's on Netflix. Ricky Gervais has one called Afterlife where he's working at a small community paper. And some of that is brought up like, you know, there, there's a role for the community paper and they're dying and it, it's sad. Uh, but I, I think back to my days at the paper, one of the stories I enjoyed the most, I don't know if you were ever into the old WWF wrestling, but um uh, Sergeant Slaughter during the first Gulf War was kind of the bad guy, and his um, his ring manager was an actual fellow from Iraq, and he was the Iron Cheek many many years ago. Um, but he I, yep, lives in I'm, that's my vintage. Yeah, he lives in Minnesota now, and uh, he was going to be at a pumpkin farm right right up the road from us, uh, and he was. He's probably in his 70s now, but uh, I think back then he was in his 60s. He was going to be wrestling little people uh, to draw people into the pumpkin farm. Uh, But he grew up in Iraq, was childhood friends with Saddam Hussein, and as he puts it, they went drastically different ways in life. Um, And just hearing his story and how he wound up in the U.S. and everything else was just fascinating. Uh, To sit down with this fellow for two hours and hear his life story was amazing. That's, and that's, like I said, I, I think we lose a lot of that. 
hopefully, like, you know, to be honest with you on a small scale, not to the same way that it, it would matter. Cause I think that stuff matters for a community yeah. to know, know who is a, a part of the fabric, especially in smaller towns. But hopefully, you know, in terms of the goalie community to bring it back to goaltending, hopefully, hopefully we can at least touch on some of those stories and some of that background with, with podcasts like yours yep. and podcasts like ours, the Ingle podcast where, you know, we get to spend an hour without like, like, you know, most journalism now is post game, you know, quick Q and a type yeah, stuff. A like, soundbite. To get in, yeah. To get an hour with Elvis. I mean, I was a fan of the kid cause he's got so much energy and he plays with a passion and he's really good. But like, I don't know about you, but I came out of that interview as the guy doing the interview. Yeah. It's just like an even greater appreciation for just, again, that passion that I think brings all of us together from peewee to pro, whether we're talking about gear or technique or, or train until you puke. Like he was, I like, I, I felt like I'm, I'm now a massive Elvis Merlickin yeah. fan after that interview. And hopefully by having some of these opportunities to do the long form interviews with these guys, we allow them to connect at a different level with a different type of community. That's the goalie community beyond just the fans in their market sort of the community as a whole and you know like they'll talk about most of these guys if you talk like hey like like remember the audience is goaltenders and there'll be kids and parents like we get a lot of parents saying we listen to the podcast on the way to the rink with our kids especially a little tougher now there's not as many you know yeah tournament travel and stuff like that with covid but um so 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 give us something that's that's going to help that kid in his game tomorrow at the end of that trip or like little piece of advice. And most of these guys are more than willing to share those types of insights. It's been kind of fun to, to sort of watch that all play out. I wish Elvis would have taken video of his wife trying out the uh, sense arena. <laughs> that would have my, been fun. My, my hunch is Mike, much like the fact that you're going to, you know, use the video on this. And I didn't put a cap on this bad salad <laughs> that my wife, will not appreciate that as much as his wife would probably not have appreciated him taking the, uh, <laughs> taking the video and sharing it with the world. Well, it, it, wasn't, that, wasn't that great though? Like, yeah. this is my world. This is what I do. Like, I thought that was just awesome. Yeah. That, that's one of those moves though. You ask for forgiveness later. <laughs> forgiveness is often much easier to get than permission. That's for yes, sure. exactly. Um, now I want to be considerate of time, uh, because as, uh, a, a I'm, good, the one, I'm the one who won't shut up. So, Well, as a good journalist, I, I did my homework. So, of course, I've got all kinds of notes. But I just want to make sure we're okay on time because um, – yeah, I'm good. I, I'm good. Perfect because I, I, I like when conversations go well. And as, as – in fact, when I talked to Kelly Rudy, we went 90 minutes just because we were two goalies having a good conversation. So, it was like, let's let's keep it going. Uh, he's <laughs> so, good. He's, he, he's so good. I, I look forward to that then because he's – even though we interviewed him as well around the yeah. same time, um, I know there will be aspects that I will pick up from yours that are, like you said, that are different. So I'm looking yeah. forward to hearing that because he's like, just, just, he's, you know what, like I said, with Willie, we cheer for good people. Yeah. And he, in addition to being a great goaltender during his age, with a lot of great insights on the position above everything else, he's just a really good person. Oh yeah. It, you know, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have him on the, uh, the podcast, I shared an image earlier this week on Instagram of, you know, long before I launched this, I, I just started listing goalies I wanted to have on there. And he was, you know, one of the first names I wrote down because I, I've 
uh, admired him for a long time. Now, one of th- I won't get into uh, the specifics, but one of the things I asked him about was the blue bandana and uh, where that came from. So th- th- that was a fun story uh, to hear from him. Um, you know, I we're, gosh, almost an hour into our discussion, and uh, I'm just asking the question now, but goalies worldwide uh, know of In Goal Magazine. And you're on the weekly podcast, which – if you're a goalie, it really should be a must listen because the uh, the discussions have just been fantastic, whether it's talking to Cam at, about equipment to talking to pro goalies and goalie coaches about the position. It's, it's just fantastic. Uh, but before we talk to that, how did you discover In Goal Magazine? I, I've talked to David before and he, he shared a little bit about, you know, when you first came to him, but how did you discover it? Um, and why did you want to be a part of it? Um, you know, to be honest, uh, we talked about Ian Clark in his magazine, uh, yep. and, and he, he used to run GDI goaltending, uh, goaltending yep. development Institute. And there still are GDI franchises out there that exist on their own, but they used to all be sort of run under his umbrella. I don't know if he owned them all, but I mean, it was quite the little empire, uh, including the magazine. Um, I'm not sure how many people remember this, but actually, if I ran up to the garage, I could actually grab a Jake Allen glove that they made for him. They got into the gear industry for a little while. They tried yep. to get into the gear industry. That's a tough industry. Yes. Like, that's still a tough industry. And due to some of those struggles and how tough an industry it is, they ended up actually folding. And so goalie news went away. And I lost my outlet. So I was still covering the NHL for Associated Press. Uh, I was... Uh, Hopefully, we might have to beep this out, but I always used to introduce myself on radio interviews back then as a media whore because <laughs> I worked for uh, the Associated Press. I wrote for the Hockey News. Uh, I was a stringer for Sports Illustrated. I covered two Stanley Cups for USA Today. Like, if you were willing to pay me to write about hockey, I would do it. Yep. And well, that's how you have to do it in journalism, too. Life of a freelancer, for sure. Yep. And Goalie News gave me... I hadn't, I never, I, at that point, I hadn't seen it as a niche that I was going to make, no, I shouldn't say make my own, but I didn't see it as my niche at the time. It was just something I did, but I really enjoyed it. And when I didn't have it anymore, I didn't have a column at NHL.com yet. I wasn't working for them. Um, I just, you know what? I, I missed writing about goaltending. And so I did think about starting something on my own. I, I was looking around online and I discovered uh, Ingle Magazine. Uh, ingolmag.com and I mean talk about serendipity and all these little moments are you kidding me he's based on the island on Vancouver (laughs) Island and I live in Vancouver my in-laws are in Victoria on the southern tip of Vancouver Island like this just kind of seems like it's meant to be and so you know I don't know how much of this uh, Hutch shared but um, long story short uh, not 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 my forte, but uh, I was over on the island visiting the in-laws with my family and uh, reached out to see about maybe meeting up. The 2010 Olympics were coming up and we met at a coffee shop. And again, you talk about everything coming full circle. The coffee shop was at Bear Mountain, which is the golf course project owned by or was owned by Len Berry and Mike Vernon. And I had actually it's now like a small city that they've created up there with 36 Jack's Nicholas holes. But before it was that it was just woods and mountain and a dream that Len Berry had. 
and I actually toured the first Nicholas Design golf course in a four by four as they were still cutting down the trees and creating it with Len Berry and Mike Fernand. So, cause I used to do golf riding as well, mm -hmm. right? So we picked the spot cause it's in between the two of us. It's this thing that's got ties to a gold center, Mike Vernon, who, you know, frankly, my closest interaction with him before the golf magazine or before writing the golf article was as a fan of the Canucks in 94, I drove to Calgary for game seven and watched Pavel Bure beat him in double <laughs> overtime to spark that magical run. So now we're, here I am, I meet this guy who's got a goalie website, doing a great job with it. Um, and we meet at a coffee shop at Bear Mountain and guess who owns the coffee shop? Trevor freaking kid. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Trevor kid owned the coffee shop at the time in Bear Mountain. So all these worlds are colliding. Yeah. We just decided, Hey, let's, let's, uh, I had no outlet to write goalie specific. The Olympics were coming up. So, Hey, let's see what happens if we take a couple of real behind the scenes Olympic stories, put them on the website and let's see what, like, let's see if we can maybe add a mainstream. It wasn't a word we would have used at the time, but sort of add that sort of mainstream rather than just masks and interviews. Let's, let's right. add some, some stories, some journalism to it. And it went well. So yep. here we are like uh, 10 years later and we're still figuring it out as we go, but what a fantastic guy to partner with. Um, his passion is, right up there with, with mine in terms of for the position. His son plays it now yeah. at a really high level. And he's, he's the brains of the operation for sure. And together, we haven't quite figured out the business side. Neither one of us <laughs> are making a living off this yet. But we still have enough of that passion to keep driving us forward to, to try and get there. And I always say that because I know people, we've got a subscription product now, obviously, with Ingo Premium. And, you know, I get it. There are probably some people that are like, ah, you always used to be free. Why are you charging? At the end of the day, we couldn't keep up doing it for free. There's right. not enough ad money. It's the nature you know, of the we, beast. We, you have to. It is. Every once in a while, I get somebody on Instagram going, why is this paid? Why do I have to pay for it? I'm like, and my response is basically this. Do you work for free? Right. And the reality is this is a job and it's a lot of work. Right. And so for the most part, the feedback has been very positive. We hope it's a model that allows us to hire more people with the same passion more writers, more goalie coaches, more webinars, more, and we'll get there. It's a growth pattern. But like, like I said, at the end of the day, both of us are willing to put more into it than we get out of it still because we love goaltending. Right. It's a labor of love. In fact, when in goal was still very new, I discovered it. Um, and I was out of journalism at that point, but was kind of looking for an outlet to, you know, do little things here and there. And I, I reached out to Hutch and I said, you know, there's a fellow that lives about 15 minutes north of me named Todd Miska. Uh, you want me to reach out to him and see if I can put something together? And he absolutely saw it. I wrote a piece. It was probably 10 plus years ago on Todd Miska. I went up to his shop and like this discussion, you know, it was supposed to be a 45 minute to an hour talk on goalie masks. And we sat there for another two hours talking hockey. Um, although I did something I, hardly ever did in my journalism days. I sent the story to Todd first to proofread it because I tried using uh, my phone as a recorder early on, you know, back before I trusted it really. And it cut out real early. And so I wasn't taking super detailed notes like I used to just kind of highlights here and there. So I sent it to him just to make sure the facts were accurate. Um, 
And, uh, but here we are all these years later, you guys are doing fantastic. And Todd's son is, uh, you know, in the Colorado organization. Uh, actually, that's actually a story that we actually at one point, actually assigned that story once uh, to someone that we're, that we're hoping to work with and they got waylaid and then looking to assign it again. Um, just, just Hunter and, and, and his dad and that relationship and, and how much growing up, you know, with your dad yep. painting Nabby's masks. And yeah, we, we talked a little about it. In the, synergy. In, the, in the fact that it was mom that didn't want him to play goal for all those years. And um, yeah, it, it, it was uh, fun talking to Todd and, uh, you know, watching Hunter now. It, it's, it's really fun. It, I loved when he came out with that Eddie Belfour eagle mask. Um, it, it was almost cool. sad to see him transition away from it but it, it looked so great and it, if, if there's one person to wear that mask other than Eddie Belfour and the pros he's the one where it makes sense yeah yeah absolutely yeah absolutely yeah well we, we may have to talk on that one later <laughs> yeah, yeah in fact note myself. I, I saw today on Instagram that he was at the super rink uh, getting some reps in before they shut our rinks down Friday at midnight uh so at I was a little jealous because I've been on IR with a back injury and I got clearance this week to go back to beer league, which would have been Sunday night. And it's like, of course they shut it down. <laughs> I, I feel you. I haven't been, uh, we have some, we have some immune compromised uh, people in our lives. And so I haven't been on the ice since March and man, do I miss just playing hockey. It's, uh, it's eight months without it. It's, it can be, it can be overwhelming at times when you start to think about just like, like, I don't throw around words like depression loosely, but yep. it, it, it can be, it can be a real downer. You know, I, I talked to Justin Goldman about this on a, one of my early episodes uh, in that first skate after lockdown, um, not knowing how much we needed it. It was a very yeah. different feeling of joy. Yeah. Uh, one guy I talked to said it, it was like that. Um, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I'm going to take their word for it. But they said it was like having a, uh, three-day coffee caffeine high, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, it, it was good. And I actually did my first skate across the border in Hudson, Wisconsin, because they had opened their rinks up, and the, the guys from the uh, For the Love of Puck project got some ice over there, and they gave me a call. They're like, hey, we need a goalie. Are you interested? I said, absolutely. You know, because we, we have some immune-compromised folks in our house too, but um, – we believe we had it back in December. My, my parents were in England over Thanksgiving last year and came back and then came up to visit us for Christmas and were sicker than can be. And we got sick from them and their doctors, of course, we didn't have the test back then. Um, right. But their doctor said all the symptoms say they had it. Um, oh, and there go the dogs. Brilliant. <laughs> the, the joys of recording podcasts. Um, but uh, anyways, I digress. Back, back to the, uh, the discussion here at hand. Uh, I, I'm loving the weekly episodes or segments with Cam uh, from the hockey shop. Um, you say it's to educate listeners on new equipment, um, but you can be honest here. Uh, other than my mom, there's probably, you know, tens of people listening. Uh, th- that's really for yourself to go over there and play with the new equipment, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. Because uh, the reality is we do get a lot of new equipment here. Um, but, uh, and that is one of the, jo- like, my beer league team, much 
when I was playing. Like, seriously, he's got new pads again? And seriously, he's going to use them as an excuse for why he sucks again? Like, I'm always trying new stuff, right? But, but the truth is a lot of our test equipment that comes in goes right back out because we yeah. really do pr- pride ourselves on trying to get as many different voices because, you know, I mean, I think I have a good feel for how something feels and fits and whatever, but if it's just me, then it's just my opinion. So we try and we've got some junior A kids and, and some that have moved on to higher levels, especially in the summers that have access. We have them test our gear a lot. Um, and so I do get a lot of access to new stuff, but it doesn't matter. Cause there's nothing better than going into a hockey shop no. and you got to be a little more careful in COVID times. I make yep. jokes about pulling all the gloves off the wall. I'm, I'm not sticking my hand in every glove anymore. Like I used to, but for sure I did before <laughs> yep. every mask is off the wall and you're looking for new features and you're like, it's amazing to me. Like I've tried most of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Half of it I've got in my garage and yet I still go there and instinctively grab a glove, put my hand in and want to see how it closes. Like yep. it's just, it's when we talk about all those things that bind us as goalies from peewee to pro, I think that desire to go into a hockey pro shop and grab the gear and play with it and grab a stick and flex it and hold it and hold the different paddles. Like that's, that's well, part of why we love it. Cam was talking about it on Cam Van Gates hockey journey video of, you know, that's the beauty of selling goalie equipment is, you know, hockey players might know a little bit about the flex of their stick or, you know, little bits here and there, but goalies, tend to know everything about every piece of equipment down to our jock even. Um, you know, so it's, that's just how we are. Now you're the guy that comes to beer league with, you know, new equipment every two, three weeks. I'm on the opposite spectrum. I'm still wearing equipment I bought in 1999. And I use that as the excuse of why that puck went in the net because I can't close my five hole anymore because the pads are so old. <laughs> 1999 so at least like tell me have we got landing gears on those still i'm trying to do the math yeah because that was as things were just starting to evolve early yeah so i i'm wearing vaughn legacies the uh the equipment belfour had in dallas when they won so kind kind of that bullseye pad looking um yeah the 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 glove the t4000 it's huge k whitmore would never sign off on it even even if i cut the thing in half it's probably still illegal um so yeah it's it's uh it's an amazing glove and i i'm kind of worried one day i know i'm going to eventually get new equipment and i'm going to have a terrible glove hand because everything's just gonna i'm going to think the glove's there because i'm used to this giant in fact when i got it in college um uh our equipment guy brings it in he goes yeah I, I think this thing has an 18 wheeler just to hold it up it's just he, he used some colorful language and he was like it's effing huge uh, of course he grew up playing you know back in the days of no goalie masks so he, he thought it was something else uh, but the other goalies on the team um, that was my freshman year so Rogalski wasn't there yet the other goalies they grabbed it from me after practice and like, I need to see this thing. And it came during the uh, high school hockey tournament. So we were sitting there on the couch, all of us goalies watching the tournament on network TV and uh, just passing the glove back and forth, breaking this thing in. I I, I didn't have to do anything to break it in. The other guys did it within a day. It was great. (laughs) I'd say that we can start a new trend there. Just like a watch party slash break-in session for new equipment. Yeah. 
one get little you can set up little stations while there's a game on. It'd be carpet flies in one corner, <laughs> a blocker rotation in the other, a little little glove closing on the other side. I think I, I just will get an idea there. Yeah, I I, I love it. Um, you know, speaking of ideas, now you have uh, the warm up stick. When I was in college, I had my practice stick, um, and, and I get that. You know, you, you want to keep the the good stick ready to go, but uh, there's something to be said about feeling the puck uh, in warmups and, you know, doesn't it change from the, the, the old beat up stick to, to the nice, uh, the nice stick. I, I, I'm, Let's, I'll I'm be intrigued honest. about yeah. the, the warm-up I could, stick. I could, I could show you a picture of the, uh, like just say there's no shortage of sticks in my garage. Most of them are pretty, pretty good high end sticks. So uh, my warm-ups, like it's kind of a joke between being the, I do definitely like, I don't take my game stick out to warm up. If I find a stick I love, cause we do get lots of different models and stuff. We don't get yep. them in bulk. We're not ordering six of them. So like it's been a couple of times, like the E-Flex four stick from CCM. I love that twig. Um, and just the, the flex and the easy passing. I love that. There's an evolution. I love in equipment, how they've gone from composite to now let's have composite with different flex points like a player would. So if you want to, you know, if you're not a great natural puck handler, you don't get a lot of, you know, sort of natural sort of lean on a stick. Let's let the, it's like a, oh, it's like a player's club in golf, right? Like with a little yeah. cavity back, with a little extra help for you, right? I love yeah. that stick. So I wanted to keep that as long as I could. So when I went out for warm-ups and say my Monday night skate where guys could shoot it hard enough to break it, I would grab the other twig. That's kind of how it all started. And now Hutch and Millard like to give me a really hard time about it. Yeah, I still do it. <laughs> But as far as like the feel changing from warming up with my practice stick to my game stick, let's be honest, it's warm ups in beer league. league. <laughs> there is no way I am making a single save with my stick because that would imply that a puck was shot along the ice and my team's yeah. too busy pumping it by my ear the whole yep. warm up. So it's, it's kind of a moot point. Yeah. But it, the guys, they like to give me a hard time about it. I've I'm gotten just to preserving the... my favorite stick. That's all I'm doing. Trying to make whatever's my favorite at the time last a little bit longer i've gotten to the point in beer league warm-ups where i might take five or six shots and, and it's uh i know the guys that keep it low and know to shoot for the pads and the gloves are usually the ones that start shooting around first so i'll quick hop in the net take a few shots get that feel and then hop out and wait for the refs to blow the horn and say all right fellas let's get going that's probably what I should do my favorite part was uh, the championship game it's probably about three four years ago like the beer league final and my defenseman comes in and wires one straight off the mask. And enough that I was seeing stars and ears were ringing for the first two periods of the game. Like it was like, it was, you know, I've, I've had a fair amount of concussions in my life. And I was like, oh, this is not good. What's the feeling good? And it's just like, why, why guys, why would you, why are you, what are you doing, man? But uh, this is, this is the life of a beer league goaltender. Yep. So I, I think a- I'm looking forward to, I want to get Sensorino out for this. Because, like, not to turn this into a shameless plug for them as they've come on board with the Ingle Radio podcast, yeah. but um, I like to me the more I talk to guys and including Hutch and his son who have have the version they sent us. Like, I see that as because you know, all you want in warm up sort of get your tracking and your hands yeah. right, and like, yep. like, like as much as and I feel like this is a Kane Van Gate moment as well. Like, can you imagine the chirping if you walk into the locker room? put on a headset before a game and like did imaginary goaltending drills, I would never hear the end of it. And I'm a guy who goes in with a foam roller. I hear enough of that crap. 
But I'm serious. I think that might be the one. The more I hear about how guys feel about their vision in their hands after using it, to me, instead of bouncing balls off the wall in my basement before I go to beer league or to my Monday night skate when we get to go back, I'm really curious to try that because nobody can hit me in the head while I'm wearing yeah. it. And it might just do all those things that you, you know, you're trying to do in your five or six shots. See, now you, you assume that your teammates are going to be, be there before the Zamboni gets on the ice to see you with the sense arena on in the locker room. Uh, because that, that's oh, been, my, they show up early because they just like, they show up early just to chirp me to see all the things that I'm doing. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm not worried about that. They'll be there. Yeah, because I, I do the visualization. I get half my stuff on, and then I get down to the butterfly, I close the eyes, and I track the puck into the, the hands and all of that. But, yeah, to do that with the sense arena would be uh, pre- pretty cool. Uh, I think you're I think it would be cool, there. but there would be some heavy chirp going. Like usually if I, if I were to do, and I've done it a few times, I'll grab the ball and throw them off the wall, you know, get into yep. a butterfly and do stuff like that. Um, and if the game matters enough, they might not chirp me. But most of the time, if I were to close my eyes and do visualization, half the room would be going, hey, you haven't looked behind you yet. Start looking behind you. That's where the puck, you know, like that's the type of stuff I'd be putting up with. See, I that, love that, those guys, but. That's where the uh, chirp back is. It's because you're not on the ice. <laughs> yes, you haven't said it. You haven't backed in with a uh, 10-foot gap all the way to the top of my crease until he's at the bottom of the hash marks and you're sort of screening me. That's, yeah, that's probably yeah. why I am not looking behind me. What, one of my favorite beer league moments uh, still is, I'm on my post and I'm just yelling at my defense and I'm like, tie him up. And I'm pointing with my glove to the guy on my back door, just standing there waiting. I'm tie him up, tie him up. And eventually the puck gets passed to this guy on my back door and he puts it in. And I turned it. I was just going to lay into this guy and he looks at me and goes, Oh, you meant that guy. <laughs> it was like, okay, now I can't be mad. That, that, that was funny. Um, yeah. Life, life of a beer league goaltender. Everyone yeah. listening to this that does it can relate to exactly what we're saying from the yeah. pregame chirps, the postgame chirps, the bad defense, all of it. Yeah. But you know, if they're not chirping yet, that's when you got to worry. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, so let me get back to my notes here. I keep going all over the place, which is a good thing. My fault. Uh, no, no, it's not. Um, uh, so in, in your time covering uh, hockey and working for Ingol, um, we've seen a lot of changes in the position, especially in the last 10 years. Um, in your opinion, what do you consider the biggest change or advancement in the position from equipment, technique, whatever? What do you see as the biggest improvement? Well, that's a tough one. Um, you mean like, like since like in recent years, since I've been covering it or like, I would say since you've I, been covering it, you know, well, like, I mean, so I started sort of digging into goaltending about the time that, like, proper leg recovery out of the butterfly mm-hmm. was not, not – everybody didn't do it. Like, old Kolzig was still getting up with the same leg, which meant half the time he was getting up with the wrong leg. Yeah. Uh, I remember talking to Curtis Joseph late in his career in Arizona about trying to add proper, proper leg recovery out of the butterfly – um, after watching, like going to a summer camp and watching like 12 year old kids do it naturally and saying, these kids move better than I do. And so that's a pretty prevalent theme over the, tw- I guess almost 20 years now I've been doing this is 
guys at the NHL level watching kids move and saying these kids move better than I do. Because that, with each new generation, whatever gets developed and starts to be taught at the NHL level quickly trickles down to the youth level mm-hmm. and becomes innate for that next generation. It's yep. all instinctual for them. They grew up with it. Whereas you've got a guy like Curtis Joseph who you can make an argument his numbers dipped after he learned proper leg recovery. Yep. Like, you know, so what happened? Did some of the instinct leave? Because he, be, I, I, I don't know what the answer there is, but so, I mean, that in itself is massive. But then you've got the different post play. Like since I started covering it, VH started and mm-hmm. then got overused. And yeah. then we had RVH and then still some overuse of that or, or improper <laughs> use or improper ex- execution. As I like to say, it's not RVH fail. It's usually failed RVH. Um, there's a difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, and then right into tracking mechanics, like, um, I've got a bias there because I got to learn some of these new mechanics, um, you know, sort of from the ground up with, with Lyle Mast, who, um, you know, and it was, it was for a while there a controversial name in the goaltending world, probably my fault. I wrote some articles about how different this was. And a lot of people were pissed because they said, well, you can't just tell, you have to show us, you have to show us how it works. And I was, oh, I'm writing for NHL.com. I'm not writing a manual. And, you know, <laughs> frankly, it, it's not mine to give away. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of, a lot of people like, like um, Steve Valakat once told me first one through the wall always gets bloody. And there are a lot of people that were pissed off. Like really, really pissed off. And then there are a whole bunch of other people that pretended they knew what it was and talked about it, but actually didn't. Mm-hmm. And I got stuck in a position where I couldn't, um, I really couldn't um, talk about it, but it was my fault for putting it out there. And, like, honestly, I, like, I need to own some of that. Like, I'm not saying that, like, my fault, like, woe with me. It really was my fault. And I actually probably put a lot of that negative attention to that point. Lyle Mast wasn't a look-at-me guy. Um, he wasn't writing articles about it. He wasn't asking for the spotlight. As a matter of fact, the first article I wrote never quoted him. It was quoting other people that had a chance to work with him and, and learn this stuff. And at the end of the day, whatever you want to make of it, it's, it's an absolute black or white, yes or no, off or on biomechanical trigger for the most efficient way to move. Mm-hmm. Goalie coaches for years have taught that type of efficient movement. All good goalie coaches, I remember Mitch Korn saying, like, this is what we've always looked for. This is what we've always wanted. The difference is they've tried to get goalies to it. They always knew what it looked like, what, what good goaltending was. Mm-hmm. The difference was they try to get them to it with heads and hands and hips and, and all these different parts to try and get this most efficient movement. And actually, in some aspects of the T-push, we were teaching things that weren't efficient. We were teaching a lot of unnecessary opening and closing that got you to your next position without building your angle, your set, or your square. Whereas mm-hmm. if we moved a different way in terms of what triggers our movement, we could get to that next position already on angle, already set, already square, because we built it before we left rather than building it once we arrive. Right. And when you start to clock the difference in how long it takes and the access you have to the puck along that path of movement, there's no question which way is more efficient and which way is actually also faster. But a lot of this stuff was, it was misunderstood. It was not understood because a lot of people, because we, there was no sort of explanation route, like 
right down to the roots explanation of the science. And we're talking things like vestibular function and balance and 20 years of research sort of that went into this project that just all of a sudden got launched by my stupid article <laughs> and created a bunch of pissing contests around the league. Now I'll say that some of the goalie coaches that pissed and moaned the loudest within a few years were sending their, their goalie coaches they worked with in their NHL organizations and their goalies to learn it. Mm-hmm. So that's one that I think me, I probably should have not said this because now this will be controversial and piss people off, but that's one of the biggest ones. And we've seen without the name of it, without it being called certain things, we have seen goaltending, whether it's because of that directly or because people looking for it, trying to figure out what it is, there has been an increase in the efficiency of movement, mm-hmm. a lot of an access to pucks off the release and not moving out of the way. People have looked for the efficiencies that were part of this, even if they haven't discovered them as because of this or have that trigger as the foundation for it. Movement to me has never been more efficient. And that's been the trend all along, whether it's proper leg recovery, moving in and out of our posts or something like these new biomechanics. It's always about being able to move better. Now it's on our skates more than it is on our knees. That'll always, that yin and yang will always evolve. But if you can't move, you can't play. It's never been more true. And I think that's the being the biggest thing. Different little signposts along the way that help us move better as goaltenders. That was a really long-winded answer. And I went down a path I really <laughs> didn't plan on going down today. So But it, it was a hopefully, good answer. Hopefully I didn't hopefully I didn't open up Pandora's box on that one because there will be people that switch and turn that and still take it the wrong way. And um <laughs> I I got kicked I got kicked in the nuts a lot on that one. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't wrong. And, you know, sometimes it's standing by by your word and believing it. So there's nothing wrong with that. There's, uh, there's a saying, I'll give you this one. There's the one thing I will say, and this is why I, I say that not to sound like a total egotistical. In, in goaltending, like I said, there's no absolutes. But the, there is sort of one truth, like video doesn't lie. No. Like video doesn't lie. And if you can show it on video and prove it and demonstrate it, like right down to the nth degree of yes or no, black or white, on or off, frame by frame measurements in terms of delays or no delays, we can see set, we can measure set, we can measure square, we can, we can line all those boxes up. You get as scientific as you want or not, you can just see it. It's all there on video. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any of my other episodes, but I like to close it out with a series of 10 rapid fire questions. Um, oh, okay. I uh, promise I'll be quick because I've taken up way too much of your, I'm actually apologizing for taking up too much of your time and I'm the guest. I'm really bad at this. No, really you, bad at this. you haven't taken up too much time. This has been fantastic. Um, so the first question is what's the craziest coach moment either from your playing days or from covering hockey that, uh, you've seen now mine, I, I always bring it up is the, uh, I was at a Blackhawks game. I was sitting behind Roberto Luongo uh, as he was playing for Florida. I was eight rows behind him in the first row above the uh, Zamboni entrance. And Mike Keenan was not happy and started throwing sticks on the ice at the referees to get their attention. Uh, so, you know, that's the kind of crazy coach moment I'm, I'm wondering about. Okay, so crazy coach moment for me. Um, 
I know we're the goaltending podcast, so it should be a goalie coach. But truthfully, the craziest coach moment I've ever seen was Torts going down uh, the <laughs> tunnel because I was covering that game um, towards the Calgary Flames bench. The crazy part of that moment was evidently it was a question I had asked him in the morning. And I am not a controversial reporter or a guy who likes, like, I'm not trying to let, like, it was actually a softball question. It was teed up for him to tee off on in defense of Henrik Sedin playing through an injury in his Ironman streak. Like, I actually set him up to dispel some of the stupidity in the mm-hmm. marketplace about Henrik costing the team by trying to maintain his Ironman streak rather than just, you know, resting and, and getting back to his level. So right. I threw this softball up in the morning skate, and he absolutely blasted me for it. And in, in doing so, I actually gave the answer I think we were all looking for, right? Defended the hell out of Henderson. He put, yeah. absolutely put me on blast for it. By the time that game started, we'd forgotten all about it. Next thing you know, there's a brawl on the opening drop, and Bob Hartley obviously played a big role in that. Torts is going down the tunnel and getting suspended from the NHL for trying to do so. What a lot of people don't remember or, or recognize the link between the two is the when he did his post-game press conference, we're all expecting him to come and talk about Hartley. His first response was actually about how he was still so upset about the morning, the question he was asked during the morning skate and how that had set him off for the entire day and he was still pissed about it. So he just tried to go down the other bench. And of course, Clint Malarchuk was out there ready to come out yeah. and, and, and scrap too. And we had him on the pod and he remembered that. Um, and he's still like the first response in the postgame was about this question I had asked that was meant to be this innocuous, you know, set you up to, to tee off on the stupidity question. Yeah. And it may have actually pissed him off to the point where, where he, he, he went off. And we talked about it later, actually, just a little chat, actually around the Heritage Classic time. And um, yeah, he, uh, he was, that was, he, that was, he blames that question for his mindset that led to that madness. Love him or hate him, I think Torts is a uh, treasure to the game of hockey. Uh, you, you look at a guy that has been able to evolve with the game and his in the way he coaches it. Uh, he, he's, in my opinion, done a decent job, and uh, his personality just brings color to the game. Yeah, I could use with a, you know, I mean, we get offended when there's the, you know, five word answers and he won't indulge us because I think our job as journalists is to yeah. educate our audience and when he won't share that's I mean that makes it harder to do that so but yeah I have no problems with torts and it's funny because a lot of the people that I thought would have a lot of the goalies that played under him that I thought would have have nothing but great things to say about him. well and a lot of what I've read and um, heard about him from different players is he's almost like a Herb Brooks in that some of what he does in my opinion is calculated to protect his oh, players absolutely. you know so protect it yeah but you know, like, that's why they love him. To, he likes to create adversity and, and create conflict yep. as a way of getting his desired result, whether it's with us or whether it's in, internally with players in terms of calling them up. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm a fan of him. Uh, so th- this next question is one that everybody goes, ooh, I got to think about that one. What's your favorite all-time goalie mask? Actually, we just talked about this the other day, and um, – the default is to go to Dryden, I think, even though that was sort of before my time a little mm-hmm. bit in terms of being a fan. But obviously, I'm actually just rereading the game for, for, for and, and this summer. Still summer, I guess not. Um, <laughs> Alex Ald's Ken Dryden tribute mask is yes. one of the best I've ever seen. Uh, 
you know, not just because Alex is now here in Vancouver and we become friends and I've seen it up close and in person. That thing just was done by Dave Art. And it was one of those ones where from a distance, it looked like Dryden's target mask. But when you got closer, you had like Plant taking off the mask and bloodied nose. You had Patrick Waugh winking, like all the little, I think Dave Art calls it ghost, ghost yeah. effects uh, that he had in his masks. To me, that thing was just brilliant because it was two different masks in one. Detail you could see up close, but from a distance, it was the other iconic mask, uh, the, right. the, the dried one. And there are so many, right? Like uh, masks that became identities for guys. You mentioned Belfort earlier, Cujo, um, Felix Podvin. I had him in here in Vancouver for a couple of years when I covered the team. And obviously that look was iconic as well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to miss Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, Statue of Liberty mask as much as yes. they always varied a little bit they had that you know again they became iconic for that for that one image that it always contained yeah. um, but I, but if I'm picking all-timers it's it's probably Alex Alden I know that's not a no it's a good one though it, it, it's almost a two-for-one if you think about it yeah um, you know and, and for Henrik I, I almost wondered if he was gonna get Lady Liberty in there because that could still work in DC to a point um depending on how it was done. But from what I've seen, his pads and helmet are, are spot on. Um, we expect anything less from a, from a fashion and style icon for the goaltending world than another set that looks great and another mask that looks No, great. you know, part of me almost wants when he retires for him to work with Dave Art and Bauer to design a set of pads and a helmet for every team had he played there. Just to see what be- they'd come up with. That would be a good project. Yes. Um, so next question is, what's your favorite rink that you've played at? Oh, um, well, you know what? I haven't, I haven't felt like I've played in a lot of different places, right? Like just kind of locally here in Vancouver. Yeah. I haven't done any road trips. I didn't play minor hockey, so I didn't travel a lot. Um, I haven't done any as an adult. We haven't gone to any. That's one of our things before COVID. Our beer league team is like, we need to start traveling to do some roadies and have some fun. Um, so I guess Rogers arena, uh, just because it's the only NHL rink I've actually skated on. Um, when they had the heritage classic here, I know normally with a lot of the outdoor games, you get to, there's an actual skate, sometimes a little shinny game on the media. We didn't get that here because the ice conditions were such an issue. Mm-hmm. So I've played on Rogers arena for some charity things, uh, some sort of after morning skate, uh, opportunities out there. And yeah, just to be out there and, look up and see that stadium and have the yeah. game pegs in marsh pegs and the proper and, and just the heat of the TV lights when they're on, how much hotter it is. Yes. That was, that's a pretty cool experience. That's top of my list. I played at the all state arena uh, in Chicago where the wolves play. And I remember cool. how hot it was. Um, and I was sitting on the bench for the first half of the game and I broke a sweat. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm not even playing yet. Uh, so I, I, I cramped up. I was having like, like a, so I go to the rink in morning skate when there's an NHL game day for me, it's like, I leave the house at nine and I'm not home till one in the morning. I stay downtown the whole day. And that's where I get a lot of my angle work done sort of between my morning skate yeah. duties. And, and every once in a while I'll get invited to different sort of group skates that are in the afternoon. I remember the first time I was cramping so badly from that heat <laughs> and, I, and I had no expectation of it. And I'm a guy who takes, you know, they like to make fun of me for foam rolling and all this stuff. Like I take hydration seriously. I've got, I can lose like seven, eight pounds in a game. I've got the bio steel. I've got everything. I had two water bottles. I was 
dying all day. <laughs> I was still cramping up at night trying to drive home because it was so hot under those TV yep. lights. I don't know how those guys do it. No, it's it's crazy. Um, so the next question, I, I have a feeling you're going to have a really well thought out reason for this one. What's the, your favorite stick that you've used? Oh, it's probably that because I mentioned already that yeah. Flex Four. Um, really, just like the, I just it's it's just got that sort of bow to it, for lack of a better term, in the paddle um, that can help a guy like me who, let's be honest, uh, my beer league team again would tell you just stay in the net, buddy, because you can't <laughs> handle it for crap. Yep. Um, I, I sent them all the uh, Askarov clip the other clip the other day from the KHL where mm-hmm. he just didn't move behind the net and told them that was what I was going to look like when I we came out of this pause and. They told me, sure, it would have gone, gone off your stick and into the net long before you did the spin move. I'm like, actually, I probably would have fallen down as soon as I went to get it. But for guys who can't, who just don't have, they don't have the sauce, like, I just find that E-Flex 4 stick has great feel. Mm-hmm. And just a little quick flick, that little bit of bow, you can pop it, you know, a couple, just like, not, not trying to go Mike Smith end to end, but just to be able to just a quick little pop pass where you elevate it a couple feet so it's tough for the guy to knock down. Yeah. You get it past that first four checker. Yeah, get out it out of the zone. Line. Yeah, that's, so that's that's my twig. Uh, there are other models that I haven't had a chance to try that, I, you know, like the new Ultrasonic. Uh, we've got a, a guy testing it right now, swears by it, says it, he's equivalent. He says it, and this was great, if the E-Flex floor is the, you know, the cavity back sort of player, uh, golf club he felt like the ultrasonic was the blade like the 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 you know like you got to be a good player good feel but yeah. it still gives you it gives you that sauce but you, you have to know what you're doing to manage it kind of thing so i'm looking forward to trying those but for now uh much like an um, oversized chest protector if you're not cheating you're not trying i need all the help i can get moving the puck and the e-flex 4 gives it to me absolutely makes sense uh so the next question what's your favorite hockey memory Usually I ask youth hockey, but you didn't play it. So what's your favorite hockey memory? Uh, oh, that's a really good one. I mean, I would love, like, my, I know you're thinking in terms of playing and, like, so I could think Not always. times where, where we've won a beer league, you know, like season, whatever, championship or whatever the hell you call them. What does Kane call them? T-shirts. we got the BHL T-shirt. Yep. But truth be told, my favorite memory is the 2010 Olympics. Yeah. Um, and working for the Associated Press and running quotes, it meant that we had access to the players um, after they did TV and, and rights holder radio. And then when they came through the press row, the, the print media is sort of the last one, the electronic print media. And but I was international. We're wire service working for the Associated Press. So I got first dibs. Uh, me and me and three other guys. And around the corner, like after us, was all these big names like the biggest names in hockey media. We sort of got first, you know, first shot. Yeah. And so after Canada wins the gold, uh, I was sort of asking all the questions of Sidney Crosby in the scrum. And he was still talking about the golden goal and all those things. And I, I was kind of priding myself because I was like, I, I, I own that scrum. I, I still got the audio. I, <laughs> I must have had like, I like almost every question, like I led the way. And cause again, most of a lot of the, the big names were still up there writing on deadline. Cause we, we had come down early as, to run close again, no pretenses. I wasn't there to be a big writer. I was just at that for that game. I was, I think I got to write a sidebar the, the next day kind of thing, like a follow sidebar, but mainly I was there to run close. So I, I had Sid and as we had Sid, Roberto Luongo walked by. And we needed him, obviously, for us. 
but they were pressuring him to keep going by to go out to the main scrum. And, and in international events, it's sort of a linear thing. Once you get there, you keep going into your locker room. And they just won the gold medal. So as Roberto walks by, I'm thinking, oh, crap. Like, we got to make a decision here. And I was hoping, because I was the one who had asked that current question of Sid, it would have been very rude for me to then back off of it, right? Or to, like, mm-hmm. say, sorry, I got to, like, hey, Sid. Right. Go. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I want to talk to the goalie. Yeah. Um, but... Roberto and I, like, we made some eye contact, and I was kind of like, you know, as, as Sid's talking, I'm kind of like, and so he's like, he indicated he would come back. And again, we talk about not cheering for teams, even as a Canadian. Right. Really. I'm sure on some level I was cheering for Team Canada, but in that moment, you're not. Like, you really can't. You really can't. You do have to detach yourself from right. results. I talked about 94 and going to Calgary and that whole run um, as a fan. Well, by the time we get to 2011, I'm a journalist. And there is no way that I can go into that Canucks locker room and ask pointed questions of Daniel and Henrik, who I've grown quite fond of as people. Um, and, um, and Roberto Luongo, near tears, and, and do my job if I have any emotional connection to that moment. Right. And then go out on the ice with Tim Thomas, who was also very good to us over the years. For all that people want to say about his politics afterwards, he was exceptional with Ingoal Magazine and, and talking goaltending with us yep. over the years. He was so good to us. After I'm in that Canucks room, the next, the next stop is on the ice with Tim Thomas in the aftermath to grab quotes from him, right? Like I was covering that event. That one, two cups for USA Today, that one was Associated Press. I can't have those moments if I'm emotionally attached, but you still cheer for the people. People, yep. So for Roberto to then come back out of the big scrum with all the big media, the ESPNs and all the, the names that everyone else would recognize, came back over to us because I'd asked and, and we'd had that little, and just to quickly ask a couple of questions formally and then the other sort of, guys from the wire services were kind of done with them and we just had a moment there where we chatted that was probably the most special moment i've had in journalism again trying to be detached but you're still allowed to feel good for the guy yep right because there's a guy that i had known since his florida days and goalie news and in clark setting me up for my first first feature interview is is you know if i could pull the computer down i've got the first goalie news, the first edition, volume one, edition one, is Roberto Luongo, Vesna Trophy, question mark. What's the subhead? Once considered a top prospect, now a superstar. It was the first feature goalie interview I'd ever done. Well, he was driving home from the practice rink, phoned him up. You know, so to see him have that moment and have that success and to share in that one small part of it, just to, not that because you were a part of it, that type of sharing, but to get to experience it with him and see that joy. Mm-hmm. that definitely tops my list. And now that I mentioned the Sedins, the only one that comes close probably is playing in a, um, an autism charity tournament where my, my beer league team kind of, I think we raised over $35,000 uh, last year. Um, and it got us in like, you know, got me in the, for fundraising levels into an all-star game purely on cash raise, not ability, <laughs> but, but, but getting to, getting to play in a game with Daniel and Hendrick Sedin and, and have those moments on the ice. That, those are, for sure, my coolest ones. Um, stopping Corey Hirsch uh, in a in a in a shootout in the in the All Star game 
um, because as he said, you knew I was going to go do the Peter Forsberg move. And I told him I read it like a stamp. So, um, <laughs> I, but, but, but definitely Roberto, Roberto in 2010 is, is yeah, hands down the best moment I've had. That's awesome. Uh, so the next one's always fun. And Hutch had a great response to this one. What is your favorite chirp you've heard on the ice? Oh, I can't. Uh, you may have stumped me there because they're usually coming from my own team. Yeah. So like, for, for this one, Hutch said his favorite one, uh, a goalie coach of Maddie's asked him if he was really good at dodgeball. Oh, yeah, I had the, the dodgeball one. That's, that is a good one. Oh, I might have to pass on this one because I can't think of any that I can sort of repeat. Um, <laughs> and again, even the, the most negative and mean-spirited ones are coming from my teammates most of yes, the time. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, oh, I can't – I honestly – I'm not a good chirper and I can't think of the best one. Maybe maybe, maybe because I'm so mentally strong that I've blocked them all. <laughs> That, that's that's what we'll go with. Um, that's not true, but yeah, we'll go yeah. with that. Justin Goldman will be proud of your mental strength there. Uh, <laughs> what is the worst post-game beer you've had? Oh, my fault. Um, and because uh, I do, I'm a beer guy. Yeah. Um, not, not a fan, but I, I like, like, I like, I like ambers. I like porters, I like darker ones. And I don't know what I was thinking. I had the cooler. We used to rotate it. Now we have an actual sponsor and we have beer that's actually called Beer League Beer. And it's yep. like this perfect sort of light, easy to drink. But for some reason, the first time I went home with a cooler, I got it in my mind that I, I don't know what I was thinking, like just stupid, that I was going to fill it with better beer. Not necessarily easy to drink post-game beer. Of course, yep. light goes down great after a game. Absolutely. Super hoppy or ambers or dark beers, not real good after exercise, not real idea in the locker room. And so my own fault, uh, I actually had a porter after a game, and it was only in the cooler because of me. And let's just say that the boys were not happy with the selection. I would have been just better off buying the cheapest possible there's the rule of thumb. Learn it the hard way the first yep. time I had the cooler. And this is years ago. Do not buy fancy expensive beer thinking you're going to be, you know, this super like good teammate because the guys will hate you for it. Yeah. I, I had somebody offer me a stout before a game once and, and I looked at him. I was like, I love stouts, but you want me to finish this game, right? I mean, that's just too heavy pregame. It's, uh, like, it's like drinking a bowl of oatmeal before you go play hockey. It's yeah. You down a little bit. Although I have found uh, lately uh, when they bring Coors Light or something like that before the game, a pregame beer actually helps my game. Uh, it gets me out of my head or something. Just one, you know, not shotgunning it or anything. Just a nice leisurely pregame beer has helped my game, I've learned. Well, I've stopped drinking during the pandemic for the most part because I we'd be right back to where I was when I had to, you know, <laughs> the 50 pounds and first yeah. learning to play goal um so for the most part i've stopped uh so yeah i i i don't think a pregame beer would be a real good idea when i first get back because i'd probably, probably be not yeah just off the one beer yeah yes uh so this next uh question we're almost done here it, it, it's a polarizing one when you tape your stick do you go heel to toe or toe to heel heel to toe all right most most goalies do but those that go toe to heel usually they defend it to the to the death 
Um, There's probably a really good reason for it. I don't have a real good reason for going the other way, although I just find it real easy to sort of like finish it at the end and take a piece yeah. of, piece of, you know, take, take the scissors. Terry Price showed us once. Yep. Take the scissors and rounds it at the end and good to go. Counter Beaupre again, name's coming back up. He is the only one that had a good explanation. He He likes to play the puck a lot and he just feels the way the tape, uh, the ridges go. When he goes toe to heel, he feels the puck comes off of it a lot smoother rather than when he went heel to toe. So he, and he probably he's again, yeah he can play the puck. We can. He actually knows how to do it. Whereas for me, I'm like I'm looking for sticks that you know cheat for me and flex and all that yeah. stuff. Like he actually has feel. Those of us who don't have any feel wouldn't notice it. I, I grew up using Christian sticks where half the time I taped the stick past the heel just to keep the heel together because they they were known for splitting and you just tape it a little tighter and hold that thing together a little longer. Um, so what's your favorite number to wear when you're on the ice? Number one. And I got this one from Roberto Luongo. I asked him, I remember early in his career, asking him why he wears number one. And he just quite flatly said, because number one says it all. <laughs> you know, and... My uh, college goalie coach asked me, what is it with all of these younger goalies with weird numbers like 88 and 19 and all of this? And he said, I don't know. It, it, it kind of bugged him. And, and I told him, you know, for me, I don't care what they wear. I just want to know the story behind it. Because th- that, that's the interesting thing to me is, you know, what's the story behind why people wear, wear the numbers they do? A lot of times it's for family reasons. You know, dad or grandpa wore this number, so now I wear it. Um, but yeah, number one is, for that reason is a good one. Uh, well, so what, it's, it's disappearing too. Right? Like yeah. I think I did a column on it this year. Like it is fast disappearing. Like you said, there's a lot more unique numbers out there. Number one is disappearing 31, 35. Like I'm looking behind me on the wall with the autograph yeah. jerseys. It's like Carrie 31, Lundquist 35 and, and Luongo number one. That's, that's sort of become a lost art. Well, in the story of why goalies back in the day were number one, it was because, when they traveled by train, your sleeping berth was based on your number on the ice, and number one was the biggest bed. So they went, oh, we're number one then. <laughs> um, so what advice do you have for young goaltenders? Oh, we could be here a while. Um, <laughs> so, two, so two things. One is um, skating, 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 skating. When I talked about you can't move, you can't play. Um, you know, it's fun to slide around on your knees, but you need to learn how to skate upright is better. You can get places faster connected to the ice with your blades than you can with, with your pads. Um, so movement is so key. Uh, don't ignore that at a young age. Um, and beyond that, like, I think just like be open to new ideas and sort of, you have to sort of learn how to self-diagnose as you get older and learn what your foundation is. That doesn't mean you should ever block out other people's ideas and at least be willing to give them a try. You actually have to learn how to manage that as you get different coaches, as you Mm -hmm. grow up. Like sometimes we've talked about, it's been a common theme on the podcast. You guys will bounce around during the year and each coach will want them to do something different and how you find that balance. And one of the keys is being willing to try. Um, And then the other thing I would say for kids is, Definitely get a subscription to Ingwell Magazine uh, Premium Edition because that will help you. And there's one other really brilliant thing. Oh, yeah, physical literacy. And this is maybe a message to parents as well. Just had this conversation with, uh, with Colin Delia as well. He added Pilates this summer. Um, I'm going to have a story coming up pretty soon on bar, you know, bar, yep. ballet. Like a lot of goalies are starting to do that now too. 
I know Justin, you mentioned Justin Goldman being on the podcast and that he's a big Pilates guy. Um, we've talked about yoga over the years, Tim Thomas, you know, speaking of Timmy, uh, you know, how it helped him, you know, avoid hip surgery for your yoga. And then once he had the hip surgery, helped him recover, um, you know, different types of training, the Maria mountains, the Adam Francilias that really understand the biomechanics of goalie movement and are training you towards that. Um, but as much as some of this stuff is related to goaltending or position specific, like physical literacy is about doing different things. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's ballet or gym. one of the untold stories of the Russian goaltending revolution, talking to uh, UC Parkilla, the uh, Colorado Avalanche goalie coach who's in the KHL when this all took off. He's like, Hey, there's tons of kids and they're all in these, these like schools that are kind of like, um, like athlete schools. And one of the things mm-hmm. they're doing every day is like, I went to the it's gymnasium. That's what it's called. It's like I went to gymnasium class and they're all like doing perfect these dance moves and they all have to be footwork has to be perfect. And the, the control over the body as dancers that all these kids that were then playing hockey later in the day had to learn as part of their gymnasium class at a young age, like dancing can help. Yeah. The, the, the great move and control your body matters, play different sports, all those things. The, the great Steelers, wide receiver Lynn Swan was known for practicing ballet even when he was in the NFL in the offseason he would take ballet classes for that reason you know yeah there you go I, and and I think they're like I mean like you know speaking of chirps there are probably some immature uh, young men that were that are going to chirp a goalie who does this um, but I know some guys that are that are top prospects um, I, I don't want to give it away because I actually need to make sure I have permissions here um, but hoping to have this story in the next couple of weeks with some guys that, that are really high-end prospects that are using this right now, that use it in college, um, that have used it increasingly during this pause and during this downtime because they see the benefit and their flexibility, the mobility, their control uh, of, over their body and the, their ability to sort of sort of move in different ways. So, yeah, like we, we, we always want – the thing that we love about goaltending is so we always want to be the goaltender. Sometimes, especially at a young age, the best thing you can do to become the best goaltender you can be later on at 15, 16 and beyond is to do something else when you're, especially when you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and maybe even 13. Yeah. Uh, Well, how many goaltenders are we hearing didn't start playing goalie till later in life? Miska, who we mentioned before, is a great example. And his idol, uh, I remember talking to his dad about it, was, um, oh, was a Josh Harding of the, the Wild who started later in life, you know, so it's a recurring theme of goaltenders who make it to the NHL where quite a few of them didn't start till later in life. And was it on Mike McKenna's um, podcast this week with Grant Fear where Grant said he didn't start playing until he was like 12 or 13 as well. So, and, and, and those are, some of those are, are names that like, there'll be a lot of parents that be like, Oh, that was, that was back then. Right. Yeah. Mackenzie Blackwood. Go back and listen to the, the the episode we did with him. We had 45 minutes, and one of the things we dug into, he caught me off guard by how late he started just being a goaltender. Yep. Like, I think there are a lot of parents, and there, I'll be honest, minor hockey's to blame here because you can get pigeonholed at a young age, like, oh, he's not a rep goalie, and so you, we never give kids a chance to move back into that as they mature and, and you know, they get stuck in, in leagues that they're capable of playing beyond. Because they didn't always be a re- like like that. I know that's a real thing. I, I yep. get it, parents. But like guys like Blackwood, like really late to the position and playing at, at lower levels, you know, into his you know mid to late teens. And now he's like 21 years old. and He's going into his third year in the National Hockey League. Like right. 
you know, we're, we're in such a rush sometimes we don't recognize. And I think if we were able to demonstrate it and put it in these terms sometimes, you can actually do more harm than good if it's too young in age. Yep. Absolutely. So, absolutely. And everything with balance, you can still, there are a lot of, Hey, look like Hutch knows that all this stuff and his son's been a goalie for the most part exclusively still plays other sports. But, you know, he's been a goalie in hockey for a long time. And, but there's a passion there and a drive that comes innately to him as opposed to dad trying to shove yep. it down his throat. This is a kid who loves it, not somebody who's having to be force-fed it to try and get better. Yeah, and that's how I was. I, I played – once I discovered hockey, I played year-round as a goalie. And it was one of those where mom and dad would just say in the spring and summer, it's the last day for sign-up. Do you want to play? Yeah. You sure you can play baseball? No, I, I want to spend my summer in the ice rink. <laughs> you know, and they're okay. You know, that that's that then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and again, nothing, nothing wrong with it, but there is, there is, there's something to be said for physical literacy is a phrase I throw around a lot. And, uh, I think, I think it has a lot of value for young kids that gets overlooked. Absolutely. So I got one last question here. Okay. Uh, it, it wouldn't be a podcast with you if there wasn't one last question. Well, Gotta uh, be. Where can folks find you online? Uh, well, definitely go ingolmag.com. Um, the one thing I will say is, yes, we have gone to a subscription site, but all the podcast stuff is linked there for our podcast, and that's all still free. Uh, all the gear review stuff is still free. Uh, it's not behind a paywall. The only stuff we put behind a paywall is sort of the exclusive NHL teaching drills and content like that. Um, so ingolmag.com from, for, for me and Hutch and all those things. Ingle Radio Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find it. Uh, Kevin is in goal is the Twitter handle. And then Ingle Mag is uh, sort of our, our Instagram handle. Yeah, pretty much any of those places. Just Google Ingle Magazine yep. and you'll find some cool stuff. And then once a week at NHL.com. And I'll be sure to link uh, in the show notes as well so people can easily Appreciate find it. So, Kevin, uh, I skipped. Let's be honest. Nobody, nobody's going to be – they're going to be like, oh, my God, this guy ever shut up. There's no way they're making it till the end here to listen to me. <laughs> I'm sure some somebody will. Um, your, mom, your mom and my mom. Yeah, in Hutch, just to see what you had to say. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell him I we'll tell him I we'll, we'll send him a text that I chirped him at the end so he has to listen to the whole thing. Yes, yes. Uh so Kevin, I, I scheduled us for an hour. Here we are almost at two hours. Uh I cannot thank you enough for your time and being gracious with it. Uh it, it was a fantastic conversation. Like you said, so many of them. It's just it's two goalies like we've uh we're old teammates that sat down after practice. Uh so well, thank I you. Really- Thank you for putting up with me for this long. I think it's very on brand for me that I went double the, the allotted time. Yes. So at least I'm at least I'm consistent. Uh, I just really appreciate the passion you bring to goaltending and and to yeah you're just flattered to be asked to be a guest. Um, you'll know better next time though. Yeah. Well, n- now that I've had you and Hutch on, I, I almost feel obliged to reach out to Millard and see if he'll come on now. We'll we'll make that happen because his <laughs> stories are much better than mine. <laughs> I don't know. He, he had some good ones. We did fill up two hours. But again, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, uh, again, just uh, I'm thrilled to have had you on. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thanks. Are you still listening? If so, you deserve a high five, fist bump, elbow bump, whatever it is that's acceptable these days. I don't know. That was a long interview, but a great one. At least I think so. So many great nuggets about goaltending in there, 
but also great to get to know who Kevin is a little bit better. I can't thank him enough for being so gracious with his time. He's also the first guest to ask me if I was okay with time rather than the other way around. But if you've listened to the Ingol podcast, that shouldn't surprise you. You can find Kevin on Twitter at KevinIsIngol and Ingol pretty much everywhere by searching Ingol. And of course, IngolMag.com as well. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Simply search for Washed Up Goalie and I'll pop up. Visit WashedUpGoalie.com for some great hockey-related content, my beer league hockey videos, and at least when they allow us to skate in Minnesota, and all other podcast episodes of Tendy Talk. I need to give a big thank you to the hockey band The Zambonis for allowing me to use their music on my podcast. You can download their music and listen to their music as well anywhere you stream music from. I'm working on lining up other goalies to talk to. If you are a goalie or have connections to a goalie who I should talk to, shoot me an email at washedupgoalie39 at gmail.com or send me a DM on social media. Let's not forget, if you're a brand who wants to sponsor the show, be sure to reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk. And finally, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the podcast platform you're listening on. It's quick action on your part that helps others find Tendy Talk. Until next time, keep your stick on the ice and your body square to the puck. All I really want for Christmas are some brand new shoulder pads. To protect me from the enemy When he cross-checks me really badly I would be irate You'd expect me to retaliate But to his surprise I look him in the eyes and say Happy Holidays You know, Christmas time is a stressful time for all Malls packed, traffic jams Family get together is way too out of hand. Pick up hockey is just way too crowded. And I know, I know.